Well, good morning, Bridgeway. How are we doing? All right. Hey, it is great to see you. Welcome once again to church. If we haven't met, my name is Brian. I serve as the Director of Connections and Communications around here and very excited to be with you this morning as we continue our Purposeful Christianity series. We're in part 13 of the series this morning. Your bulletin says part 12, but the bulletin is wrong. I don't, uh, don't want to name names, but I missed that when editing it this weekend. So we're in part 13, and uh, if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, you can open up to Colossians chapter 4. It's on page 985 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Colossians chapter 4, page 985. That's where we are going to be this morning. And in the text we have for today, Paul is beginning to wrap up this four-chapter letter to the Colossians. And as he's wrapping up the letter, he's giving them a few pieces of very specific instructions that he knows and believes are going to be critical to the effectiveness and fruitfulness of the church in Colossae moving forward. And these pieces of advice, I believe, are just as necessary for our effectiveness and our fruitfulness today. So that's what we're going to look at. See, here at Bridgeway, we talk a lot about our mission statement, equipping one another to bring the wholeness of Jesus to a broken world. And right there in that mission statement is our belief that wholeness is possible. Real wholeness is possible through Jesus Christ. Despite the brokenness in, of each and every one, in each and every one of our hearts, despite the brokenness in our world, real and true wholeness is possible. It's possible for you. It's possible for our church. It's possible for our world. But here's the thing about wholeness, is it does not happen by accident. Just like I am quite sure none of us in this room ever just randomly without a bit of exercise woke up one morning with like incredible six-pack abs, right? Like none of us have ever been like, whoa, where'd those come from? All right. That has never happened, right? In the same way, you don't just stumble into wholeness. You don't just accidentally or randomly become whole. The great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy, in the opening line of his novel Anna Karenina, which, just to be clear, I am not nearly cultured enough to read Tolstoy. I read people who quote Tolstoy. But this is what he says. He says, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. What's he saying? He's saying that there are just certain practices. If you look at healthy families, there are going to be certain practices you're going to find that are common throughout all of all healthy families. There are just certain practices, certain values, certain routines that make for healthy families. But if you're going to look at unhealthy families, each unhealthy family is unhealthy in its own way. There are all sorts of ways you can be unhealthy. If you're looking to mess up your family life, you have options, okay? And it's the same way with wholeness. I would suggest to you that people who are whole, people who are filled with the wholeness of Jesus have some things in common, right? That first of all, we've received the grace of God. We've received God's grace and mercy. We've come to find our identity in him. We've come to see that no matter, as broken as we are, we've come to just realize that that wholeness is found in him, not from our own efforts, not from our own performance or anything like that. That's the most important step, step one. And then I, th- and I believe whole people beyond that have accepted Jesus' invitation into a life of wholeness. 
that there are practices Jesus lays out for us and that scripture lays out for us that lead to wholeness. And whole people have those things in common. But broken people, and all of us are broken in some regard, like just in this room, there's, there's, there is a diverse array of brokenness, right? We all come here broken in our own ways, by our own experiences and things that have happened. But if we're, be, we're to become whole, there's some similarity there. There's some similarity there. So what I hope to show you from our text today is the fill in the blank in the sheet in front of you. And it's this. Wholeness comes from intentional practices. Wholeness comes from intentional practices. And the two intentional practices that I want to talk about from our text today, the first is prayer, and the second is living with wisdom towards non-Christians, those who don't yet share our faith. And we'll say more about that in a little bit. Prayer and living with wisdom. So so Colossians chapter 4, that's where we're going to start. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on verse 2, and then we'll move on to the rest of it. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, let's just be honest. Most of us, not all, but most of us struggle at least a little bit with prayer. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I'm fairly confident you're not anti-prayer, right? Like, no Christian is like, you know what I'm against? Prayer. There needs to be less prayer. I need to pray. You know what we do too much of? Pray. Like, nobody says that, right? And yet all of us, we're all too, well, many of us, we're all too familiar with that nagging voice in the back of our heads that says, gosh, I, you know, I should be praying more. No matter how much you pray, the voice is there. I should be praying more. And what happens is oftentimes with the message on prayer is there's sort of this mix of guilt and inspiration. And we all go out and have an amazing prayer time on Monday. And then on Tuesday, that nagging voice is back, right? Well, as a fellow prayer struggler, as one who is all too familiar with that nagging voice, I just want to assure you, I have no desire to guilt you into anything this morning. What instead I want to do is just highlight for you and for myself the beauty of prayer, the opportunity of prayer, so that you and I might be drawn into a deeper, richer, more satisfying prayer life, because prayer is one of these practices that leads to wholeness. And to experience the fullness of what prayer is meant to be, we have to understand prayer is so much more than just asking for stuff. Prayer is the environment where we throw ourselves down on the potter's wheel and let the Lord begin to form us, right? It's it's a practice, it's a place where the orientation of our soul is directed towards God. It's just a book I was reading this week just for my own pleasure, and the author said this. He said, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. To be properly formed. It's in and through prayer that you and I can receive the wholeness of Jesus so that we can then go share that wholeness with the world. And there are, of course, there are all sorts of different ways to pray, but I I just want to highlight three of them specifically. Uh, The first is praying scripture. Do you know that we have a prayer book right in the middle of our Bible? Right in the middle of our Bible. The book of Psalms is the church's original prayer book. Bible scholar N.T. Wright wrote a book about the Psalms, and he says this. He says, sing these songs, and they will renew you from head to toe, from heart to mind. Pray these poems, and they will sustain you on the long, 
hard, but exhilarating road of Christian discipleship. I personally have found using the Psalms as a guide for prayer to be incredibly helpful. And I'll give you a specific recent example. So several weeks ago, there was a prayer night here at the church. And as part of the prayer night, we had quite a bit of time just to pray individually. And I decided that for my individual prayer time, I was going to use Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms, as just sort of the guide for my prayer time. I love Psalm 1. At the start of it, it goes like this. It says, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its, fruit, and its leaf does not wither. And I love that picture, first of all, of a life of faithfulness, that it's a tree planted by streams of living water. You do not get instant results if you're going to plant a tree, right? But the fruit is borne out after years of faithful, patient endurance. I love that picture. But it's one, but it's a different part of the psalm that God highlighted in my mind that night as I just sort of read it over and over again and was reflecting on it. It's that beginning part where it said, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And see, I was going into that night, I'll just be honest with you, I try very hard to keep my life as free of conflict as I possibly can. And when conflict arises, I want to address it so we can figure out what needs to be done, and I want to move on. I don't like to dwell on stuff, I just don't like, it's, it's not how I want to live my life. But in the days leading up to this particular prayer night, I'd had sort of a difficult conversation, and I was not really happy about it. And I was mulling over it in my mind as I'm going into the prayer night. And by mulling over it, I mean obsessing over it. And I was dwelling in this place of anger and bitterness, which we all know is really helpful and mature. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and, and what I needed to do was obvious. I just needed to let it go. It wasn't a big deal. I needed to forgive and move on. It was very clear what God wanted me to do. But I had no time for that because I wanted to dwell in bitterness and anger. I was doing the exact opposite of what I would counsel someone to do in that situation. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think the wicked. If you're anything like me, I think of like cartoon villains, okay? Like Jafar from Aladdin. He's wicked, right? The wicked, they live in castles where it's nothing but thunderstorms, like day and night. Those are the wicked. Surely I'm not the wicked. But as I sat... Knowing full well what God wanted me to do, but reinforcing in my mind my own bitterness and anger, it suddenly dawned on me, oh my gosh, I'm giving myself the counsel of the wicked. I am giving myself the counsel of the wicked. I'm sort of telling myself, I am, I am allowing myself to do what might be justifiable, but certainly is not wise. I'm dwelling in anger when I need to forgive. It's the counsel of the wicked. So I spent some time in repentance. I spent some time asking God to renew my mind that I, not, that I might not be ruled by anger. I forgave in my heart so that I might not walk in the prison of unforgiveness. And see, God used his word to bring that needed correction into my life. See, if you don't know 
what to pray or what to pray about. Read scripture, especially the Psalms. Read these passages again and again and again and invite God to speak to you. And my experience is he will and he'll bring things to your mind to pray about. Listen, I have read Psalm 1 easily a thousand times in my life. And it was in that moment of just prayerfully reflecting on it that God brought about needed change. Praying the scriptures will remind you of the greatness of God. Praying the scriptures will remind you of areas where you need to grow. It will remind you of God's great love for you. And understand, if you do that, it will change you. See, does prayer change the world? Yeah, prayer changes the world, but prayer also changes you. And it changes me. So we can pray scripture, especially our prayer book that we have right in the middle of scripture. In addition to praying scripture, our faith tradition is full of prayers that aren't prayers from the Bible, but are prayers that God has used through the centuries to form his people. And now, now that I've said that, the first example I'm going to give you is from the Bible. So, But it's extraordinary to me, for example, that when the disciples saw Jesus praying, that their reaction to that was, hey, can you teach us how to do that? Teach us to pray. And he taught them a simple prayer that can be recited in a matter of seconds and yet is a prayer of just unquantifiable depth, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here's another one for you. If you don't know where to pray, you don't know how to pray, start praying for God's kingdom to come in different places in your life. Pray that God's kingdom would come in your life. Pray that God's kingdom would come in our church, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. Pray that God's kingdom would come into your workplace, into your marriage, into your family, on the campus where you go to school, where your kids go to school. That you can fill a lot of time praying for God's kingdom to come once you open that box. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you see how each one of those lines can be a jumping off point for further prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. What are your needs? What are your needs? You can present your requests to God. Forgive us our debts. Where do you need the soul-cleansing and life-giving forgiveness of Jesus? As we forgive our debtors, where are you, like me, living in the prison of unforgiveness and you need to forgive somebody? Lead us not into temptation. Where are you being tempted? Come on, I live in the real world just like you do. I'm tempted a hundred times a day to just get sidetracked by things that don't matter, right? Or things that are going to pull me away from God's best for me. I know that experience well and I know you do. You do too. Where do you need God's help to resist temptation and where do you simply need to reflect on this beautiful reality that God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's a prayer That's a prayer that forms us when we pray it. The Lord's Prayer is certainly the most famous prayer in Christian history, but again, there, there are hundreds of other prayers and confessions that God has used to form his people. And you might be thinking this, you might be thinking, well, listen, Brian, if I just pray a prayer like that, or if I pray a prayer that somebody else wrote, and it's not something maybe from my own heart, Won't it just become rote or routine? Won't it just become, won't it lose its meaning? And I I confess to you, it is certainly true. I'm not not trying to be judgmental, but I know that all over the world today, there are people who are gather gather, and they're going to say the Lord's Prayer with about the same enthusiasm as they would read the phone book. And it is rote. I've been in those environments. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Things are rote if your heart is not engaged. 
Prayers that you come up with on your own can become rote if you're doing it just to do it. But if you pray with your heart engaged and you mean every word, it's never going to become rote. And God will use it to form you. I think of another, I just want to give you two more examples, one long one and one short one. Another famous confession of our faith, the Nicene Creed. It's another one of the oldest and most famous prayers that we have. In the past, I've asked young men who I've mentored to, to memorize the Nicene Creed. And, and again, to, to speak to this issue of, of it becoming rote, I was raised in a tradition where, again, it was recited every week with about the same enthusiasm as you would read the phone book. And it didn't mean anything to me, and it didn't seem like it meant much to other people. It was only later in my life that I discovered the creed again for what it is. And my goodness, it is extraordinary in its beauty and its expression of truth. I spent time praying it and meditating on it this morning. Just consider the power of these words. And I'm going to tell you, I have it memorized, but I have it written down here because I'm really afraid I'm going to forget it in front of all of you. But, but just consider these words. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. He, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son. He is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy church, the, the, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the body and the life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. Come on now. You want to tell me that's rote, I'm going to tell you to check your pulse. That is his beautiful expression of Christian truth that you're going to find outside the Bible. Spend time reflecting on that confession of faith each day for a month and tell me it doesn't change you. Tell me that you don't approach your day a little differently after spending time saying that prayer and being reminded of the truths that anchor your life. Or one more shorter example is simply known as the Jesus Prayer. It's a prayer simply meant to be prayed many times throughout the day. And all you pray is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. As it comes to your mind throughout the day, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And, and here's the deal. If you're praying that prayer frequently throughout the day, it's really hard to be a jerk. I mean, I'm not saying it can't be done. Some of you are like, challenge accepted, right? Like, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's really hard. Why? That simple prayer orients our soul towards God. And it's a reminder to us. It allows us to, uh, it allows us to have our perspectives, our attitudes, and our actions shaped more by the unshakable truth of God than by our fleeting stresses and circumstances will change your life and it changes the world. There's power in that. And again, there, these prayers, there's hundreds more of them and they only become rote 
if we let them become road, if we engage with them with our whole heart, God will use them to renew our mind. He will use them to direct our thoughts. He will use them to make us more like him so that we might better reflect his goodness in the world. Then the third type of prayer I want to talk about is a, is a type perhaps a bit more familiar to all of us, and that's simply the prayer, prayer for our needs and the needs of others. Question for you. Is God sovereign or should we pray for things? Yes. yes. Pastor Lance with the right answer. <laughs> Good job. That was a test. Um, God is sovereign over all things, and he has chosen us to accomplish his will in, his will in the world through the prayers of his people. God is sovereign over all things, and he has chosen to accomplish his will in the world through the prayers of his people. In his infinite wisdom, he has chosen, he doesn't need us, but he has chosen to involve us in, the work, in his work in the world, so he invites us to pray. I was thinking about this the other day when I was spending some time with my kids. So yesterday was Earth Day, and it may not be our home, but we only get one of them, and it's a gift from God, so let's be nice to it. That concludes my Earth Day devotional. Because of that, on Friday... My kids had to bring an Earth Day snack to preschool. All right, Earth Day snack. We got this. So Thursdays, I, I'm off. I don't work on Thursdays. And my wife does work, so it's just me and the kids. And on this particular Thursday, my wife had plans to go out with some friends after work. So I knew if Earth Day snack is getting done, it's getting done by me. Here we go. So I did what any creative maximum effort parent would do, and that is I looked on Pinterest for an idea, right? <laughs> what, did, what did parents even do before Pinterest? I don't know. So my kids and I are there. We're looking at Pinterest. We selected a, a, you know, a snack we were going to do. It's going to be great. And, and we went to the store. We got our ingredients. We came home. And then after dinner, we cleared out the table, and we put all the ingredients on the table. And what we were going to do is we were going to make snails, okay? Not real snails. They were going to be little pieces of celery with peanut butter on them, and then uh, half an apple slice as the shell, two little chocolate chips for the eyes, and two little pretzel pieces for the antenna. That's pretty cute, right? So, so I did all the parts that involve a knife, right? Again, five and three. I chopped the celery and I spread the peanut butter. But then we took turns, each one of us took turns putting the little chocolate chips and the antenna and the, you know, the, 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 the apple slices. There we go. The apple slices on there. And, and we had a great time. And listen, I could have done that way faster on my own, way faster, I don't mean to brag. <laughs> but I wanted to involve them in that process. Why? It gave us a great memory, right? It was something for us to, to bond over. It allowed them to very excitedly say to my wife when she got home, Mama, come look at our snails in the fridge, which was awesome with no context. And... She knew we were making a snack, so I think she figured it out. But, and it allowed them to walk into school the next day proud of what they had made and proud that they were able to be a part of it. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing for it, just that a million times greater than that, right? God desires to involve us in his work in the world. God desires to involve you. He's eager to involve you in the work that he's doing in the world. And I love what Philippians 4, 7 tells us, that when we pray... We present a request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That we pray for the needs of others, and God promises to hear our prayers, and he promises to give us peace that surpasses understanding. So prayer is this place 
of formation. It's a place where God changes the world and it's a place where God changes us. And Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Listen, Paul didn't even have a smartphone and 300 TV channels. And even he knew it was going to be easy to be distracted from prayer. But he says, don't give up. Continue steadfastly in it. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful. Pay attention. What's going on in the world? What is God doing around you? What are the needs that you see? What's happening in your culture that you can pray about? And then pray with thanksgiving. This marks the sixth time in the book of Colossians that Paul has referenced thanksgiving. And I want to suggest to you that too many of us go through life miserable because we've forgotten how to be thankful. We go through life miserable. See, we think we're miserable because of our circumstances, but we're actually miserable because we've forgotten how to be thankful. There is, oh, I don't care who you are, there is always a reason to be miserable, and there is always a reason to be thankful. Which one are you going to focus on? Christians, more than anyone, have reason to be a thankful people. Our faith teaches us the, the gravity, the grievousness, the depth of our sin, and the extravagance of God's grace towards us. Paul says, as you pray, do it with thanksgiving, mindful of the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, listen, thankful, thankfulness, being thankful is a gift. Right? Entitlement is a prison. Anger is a prison. Envy is a prison. Thankfulness is a gift. And God has given us great reason to be thankful. And too many of us live in the prison of entitlement, envy, or anger. So I want to ask you, what does it look like for you to live with thankfulness today? Without your circumstances changing. I'm not saying you don't have circumstances that might need changing. And Probably most of us probably do. I'm just asking you, what does it look like for you to live with thankfulness today in your current circumstances? Because there is freedom and joy in learning to answer that question. And Paul goes on. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. There's a lot in those two verses. I just want to make one simple point. Paul is in prison. And his first prayer is not, pray that I would get the heck out of prison, which would have been my first prayer. His primary prayer request is pray that God would open a door to share about him while I'm here and that I would do it clearly and that I would do it well. And how often... If we're honest, are we more concerned with getting out of a difficult situation than we are with asking God to use us for his glory in that difficult situation? Now, I want to be very clear about something. This, what I'm saying, this does not apply to situations of abuse. This does not apply in situations where your physical safety is in jeopardy. If that's the environment you're in, you need to get out. But I'm talking about for many of us, who are just dealing with different struggles, dealing with the struggles of life, struggling at work, struggling in our marriage, struggling with our kids, struggling in our singleness, or just plain struggling because life is hard. I just wonder how much would it change our perspective if instead of praying, God, get me out of this, or praying, God, change my circumstances. What if we prayed, God, how can you use me in these circumstances? God, would you open a door for me to be a light 
in these circumstances? God, what opportunities are available for me to bring the wholeness of Jesus in this situation? See, Paul's sitting there in prison and he's saying, I see opportunity here. My focus is not on the struggle. My focus is not, I'm not saying he's enjoying being in prison. I'm not saying he wouldn't welcome freedom if it was offered to him. But that's not what he's choosing to dwell on. He's saying, I see opportunity here. Pray that God would help me make the most of it. And I just imagine, what if, what if this was a church where every single week we come together for worship and then we're unleashed into the community as thousands of people who are entering into struggles, entering into challenging environments, but our prayer was not, God, get me out. Our prayer was, God, I want to be a vessel of your wholeness in this challenging situation this week. What if we were a church full of people who said, okay, no matter what I am dealing with, my mission this week is to bring the wholeness of Jesus to my household, to my workplace, to my campus. I mean, don't you think, don't you think God would use that to change some things in our community? If we, it's just thousands of us really every single week and that was our objective. I think we'd see God do some incredible things. And so the first pillar of effective church life, the first practice that Paul emphasizes in this passage is prayer, which includes asking God for things, but is certainly not limited to that. Prayer that forms us, prayer that makes us more like Jesus, allows us to look through life anchored in his truth as opposed to driven about by the challenges of life. And the second pillar is found in this next verse. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. He says, live your life with wisdom, knowledge applied correctly to situations. Live your life with wisdom towards those who don't yet share your faith. And he says, make the best use of your time. That word for making the best use literally means buy up all that is available. It's an investment term. Like you'd say, buy it all because it's at a low price now and you can sell it for more later. He's saying, buy up all of that time so that you can then use it for maximum benefit. I think about Psalm 90, which was written by Moses and not David, and in how in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, right? But there is wisdom that comes from realizing the opportunities we have will not be around forever. There's wisdom in realizing our days are numbered. And when we realize that, we're less likely to waste them. Make the best use, Paul says, of the opportunities that are in front of you. Use the limited time you have, use the limited time that I have for maximum benefit. And listen, part of walking in wisdom towards outsiders that I think is easy to forget is that we, before we can make disciples, we have to make friends. Before we can make disciples, we have to make friends. I'm not saying we make friends with an ulterior motive. I'm not saying we show fake interest in other people because all we want to do is share our faith with them. We're not actually interested in them. What I'm saying is we show genuine interest in people. We genuinely love people and that we have sincere love towards them, regardless of their level of spiritual interest. So, so what does that mean to be someone who says, okay, if I want to make disciples, I need to make friends. It means making time for people. Listen, I live in the real world just like you do. I just, you know, trying to make time for stuff is hard. I completely get it. But it means making time for people. It means prioritizing people in your schedule. I mean, listen, if you, in your workplace, if the primary environment where people in your workplace socialize is going out together after work, and you can make that work with your family life and other responsibilities, and, and this is important, and just you and your background, that the place they're going is not going to cause you to make bad decisions, if you can check those boxes, go with them. 
Go with them. Make that a priority. Be present. Have normal conversations. Make friends. Because we have to make disciples before we can make friends. Be involved around your neighborhood. Coach your kid's team. Volunteer for the, for the field trip. Help with the play. Show interest in the lives of people around you. Because by the way, I've just found this. Most people are actually pretty interesting if you learn how to ask good questions and you actually listen to them. Now, I know that to be true. How well I practice it is up for debate. But, uh, but, I, but it's true. It's true, right? If we show interest in people, there's value in that. Now, another part of living with wisdom towards outsiders is living the sort of life that is inspiring to others. Living the sort of life where someone who doesn't share our faith might look at it and say, you know, that is inspiring to me. I want to be like them. Because listen, I still believe that when Christians, instead of being critics, instead of getting caught up in culture wars, instead of grabbing for power, instead of talking about how bad things are, when Christians live out biblical values, it is inspiring to an unbelieving world. I believe that. I believe that. See, because wholeness comes from intentional practices. And our scriptures, our faith, teach us practices that make us whole and that are inspiring to others. And it's when we lose sight of those practices and we kind of live by different values that we get into trouble. Because listen, no one ever says, I've never heard someone say to someone else, oh gosh, wow, you seem to be really angry all the time. Tell me, how do you do it? Can you train me up in that? Right? Or no one ever says, oh wow, oh you're offended. Wow, that sounds really fulfilling. Can you teach me how to get offended? That just seems like that's going really well for you, right? Or, or no one ever says, man, you're constantly criticizing people you disagree with. That actually, that's how I want to invest my one and only life. Can you teach me your ways, you smug, angry person, you? Right? Like, no one says that, right? That's not inspired. I'm not inspired by that. You're probably not either. But listen, I believe people are inspired by joy. And that is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Real, authentic joy. I'm not talking, I mean, happiness, I'm all for happiness. But I'm not talking about fleeting happiness. I'm talking about real joy. And specifically, I want to say, I believe that joy in despair is a language the world doesn't fully understand, but it's a language the world is drawn to. That the ability to be joyful in despair, which only comes from God, I believe that is a skill that the unbelieving world wants to have. When we can walk through the challenges of life, not with phony happiness, but with deep-seated, authentic joy that comes from knowing Christ Jesus, that speaks to the longings of the hearts of those around us. And listen, I'm not saying we don't get sad. I'm not saying we don't admit life is hard, but it does mean we find joy in the reality that Jesus is with us. I believe people are inspired by joy. Can we be joyful people? I believe people are inspired by forgiveness, not vengeance. On Easter Sunday, um, There's a story in the news that illustrates this just powerfully. On Easter Sunday, uh, a man by the name of Robert Godwin Sr. was murdered in Cleveland, and it ended up making national news. Maybe you've heard about it. It It was a gruesome and tragic story. But I was reading a column in the Washington Post the other day talking about what happened, and it said this. It said, In a baffling demonstration of grace, three of his children, this gentleman was in his 70s, Three of his children publicly forgave their father's killer the next day. His daughter, Tanya Godwin Baines, said, Each one of us forgives the killer, the murderer. We want to wrap our arms around him. Godwin's son said, I forgive him because we are all sinners. The author goes on to say, 
what seemed like an impossible act was the fruit of faith. Our father taught us about God, Godwin Baines said, how to fear God, how to love God, how to forgive. In the aftermath of his gruesome death, Robert Godwin Sr. is still teaching people about the fear of God and forgiveness, and his audience just got a lot bigger. I mean, come on. That, I mean, the article then went on to talk about uh, the centrality of forgiveness to the Christian faith and how do we, you know, what, that, like there's still grieving, there's grief and there's forgiveness and there's justice and how does that all work together? And this is, this is the Washington Post. This is like a worldwide newspaper, right? And man, that is radical faith right there, isn't it? That's purposeful. That family, man, that is inspiring Faith, listen, the world is ready to give them a free pass at vengeance, right? No one is going to blame them for wanting to take vengeance. And what do they say? No, we want to talk about forgiveness. We want to forgive. We're going to live our lives ruled by forgiveness. They're using this opportunity to express the heart of the gospel to a watching world. I believe that's inspiring. And listen, that's, a, that's an extreme example, of course. But what about forgiveness after a slight at your office? What about forgiveness in your family? What about forgiveness in your marriage? What about forgiveness with your neighbors? You want to walk in wisdom, forgive someone with the strength that not you supply, with the strength that God supplies, right? You want to live an inspiring life, forgive someone when it doesn't make sense, because God will give you the strength to do it. Forgiveness is inspiring to people. I believe that people are inspired by great work. Listen, whether your job is getting all of your children out the door in the morning with, you know, clothes that somewhat match and are at least on right side out, whether your job is that or your job is like negotiating international peace treaties, I believe the world is inspired by great work done for the right reasons. The world is inspired by great work done for the right reasons. I, I love this. How do, you, how do you walk in wisdom and glorify God as a Christian airline pilot? You land the heck out of that plane. <laughs> And you do it smoothly. Right? <laughs> that is the best thing you can do to open door, right? How do, you, how do you inspire others and glorify God and walk in wisdom as a school teacher? By investing in your students, by investing in your fellow faculty members, by being a light, by not getting tied up in all of the squabbles, but by being authentically invested in doing the right thing for the kids, for the students, right? And we can go on and on and on. How do you glorify God as a, as a mom, as a dad, as just honestly parenting your kids the best you can, loving them and making them an appropriate priority? I, I believe that when we do our work in a way that invites respect and appreciation, and not arrogance, not doing it for show, not being inauthentic, but I believe that opens doors for conversation. That is walking in wisdom. And, and here's, here's one more I want to give you. This, I have seen the power of this in my life. It is so just unbelievable to me. People are inspired by those who own their mistakes and don't make excuses. People are inspired by those who own their mistakes and don't make excuses. And this perhaps is one of the great benefits to you and me finding our identity in Christ. To know that we have a secure identity that is not based on our performance, that is given to us by God. To know that the most important thing about us is that we are sons and daughters of God. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about? Because listen, when you make a mistake, it doesn't threaten your identity. Too many people don't know how to own their mistakes because to do so calls into question the very thing they founded their identity on, right? 
So, so, and that means if your identity is in Christ, instead of making a hundred excuses, whether it's a mistake on the job or in your home or in a social situation or whatever, instead of making a hundred excuses, instead of trying to blame someone else, you could just say this. You can say, I'm sorry. I accept responsibility. And here's what I'm going to do to try to make sure that doesn't happen again. Now, you have to mean it. If you say that and you don't follow through, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work real well, real well. But you don't have to go round and round with all these excuses and this and that. You can just do that. And if you do that, it will dramatically increase your credibility. No, I'm sorry, but, which is code for I'm not sorry, and here's why you're wrong. Right? That's what that actually means. But man, I'm telling you, in Christ, there is freedom to own your mistakes because you have a God who loves you on your best day and your worst day. And I'm telling you, there is credibility to be found when you live your life in that way. And God has given you the ability to do it. And, and, you know, tons of other examples. In the New Testament, James teaches to be slow to speak and quick to hear. And the world is still inspired by great listeners. The, The scriptures repeatedly call us to generosity. And I believe the world is still inspired by generous people who, again, do it for the right reasons. The scriptures call us to care for the poor, for the marginalized, for the unborn, for the refugee, for the disenfranchised. And I believe the world is still inspired by people who care sacrificially for the vulnerable. And I could go on all day. What's my point? My point is the life that you and I have been called to is attractive to the world because it is human life as God intended it. The life that you and I have been called to is attractive to the world because it is human life as God intended it. It's a whole life and everybody wants wholeness. And when you and I embrace this sort of life, Instead of getting sidetracked by anger and divisiveness and all of that stuff, sharing our faith becomes a whole lot easier because we're able to live as witnesses, not critics, right? We're called to be witnesses, to witness to a better way of living, to witness to something beautiful, to witness to our infinitely fulfilling and loving Savior. And it's so fascinating to me as I've read early church history. It's so interesting as you read about how did the church grow, in those initial first decades, from just little, you know, little church, and even after Pentecost, you know, 3,000 people is a lot, but it's not that many when you consider the whole world. How did they grow? They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of power. They didn't have a lot of influence. But I've read again and again and again, what did they do? They loved each other well. And they lived lives that were attractive to the surrounding community. So people saw that and said, I want in. They lived inspiring lives. So people wanted to be a part of it. That was the opportunity then. I believe that same opportunity exists today. It exists for you as an individual, and it exists for us as a church. Can we live the inspiring lives that God has called us to live and that he has equipped us to live, anchored in these values of our faith? Verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, we'll wrap this up. Let your speech always be gracious. May the words that come out of your mouth be gracious, which means, first of all, they're coming from a heart that is captured by grace. If your heart has not been captured by the grace of God, you will have a very difficult time producing grace-filled words. But if your heart has been, if you've experienced God's grace towards you, you are then empowered to be able to speak with grace, to speak out words that are graceful towards those who hear them. And and listen, I, I know we live in a world that likes to argue. I know that what sells and what gets ratings is anger and divisiveness and all of that stuff. But Christ followers, instead of adding fuel to that fire, we are called to be a people of grace. The intentional 
practice of grace, gracious speech spreads wholeness to those around us. Do you, you want to be light in a dark world? Let your speech always be gracious. Let it be seasoned with salt. In other words, be interesting. Be interesting. Know what's going on in the world. What's of interest to those around you so that you can converse intelligently about them. Show interest in the stuff that matters to the people that are in your orbit. So that, verse 6 concludes, so that you may know how to answer each person. If you and I are intentional about being gracious, if we're intentional about being salty, but in a good way, salty can mean a few different things. If we're intentional about speaking words that are full of grace, intentional about engaging in interesting and thoughtful conversation, you will be ready to answer each person that comes your way. God, you will have the discernment to know how to speak and how to listen. You will be ready to engage outsiders in conversations that ultimately pave the way for conversations about the greatest and most interesting, most salty subject of conversation there is, Jesus Christ. See, as Paul wraps up this letter, he's reminding the Colossians, wholeness comes from intentional practices. Wholeness comes from intentional. And listen, God longs to make you whole. He wants you to be a whole person. He wants us to be a whole church. And wholeness comes from intentional practices. And if you and I can be a people of prayer, the sort of prayer that forms us more into the image of God, and if you and I are committed to walking in wisdom towards outsiders, paying attention to what's going going on around us, living lives that are inspiring because they're anchored in the values of our faith. We will be optimally equipped to share the wholeness of Jesus with our broken world. Amen? Amen? Amen. I want to invite the prayer team up, and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is inspired by you and it is profitable for us. Thank you for the reality that wholeness comes from intentional practices. It comes, first of all, with receiving your grace into our lives, receiving the forgiveness that comes from you, finding our identity secure in you. Maybe some of us need to come forward for prayer this morning because we need to, we need to just have our identity reset. We need to be reminded of the truth that our identity is in you. And thank you for the practices of our faith, practices like prayer, practices like living with wisdom towards outsiders. God, that you use these practices to form us and you use these practices to make a difference in the world. I pray that we would be people who walk in wisdom. And again, maybe some of us need prayer this morning to figure out what that looks like. What does it look like for me to live an inspiring life in my context? But I pray that we would be a church full of people who are walking in wisdom. I pray that we would be a church full of people who are going out into our families, going out into our communities, going out into our workplaces and our lives constantly asking the question, how can I bring the wholeness of Jesus into this situation? God, we need your help to do these things. We need your spirit to empower us because we want to do all of this in a way that glorifies you and brings about our joy and the joy of our neighbors and friends around us. Would you empower us to do this work for your glory and our joy? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Prayer team is up here. We'd love to pray for you. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend.